And the first week we talked about um, how unless the Holy Spirit fills, the human spirit will fail. And that we can receive the Holy Spirit by faith. Not by uh, religious hoops or emotional attitude. It's simply by faith. By trusting that what God promises, He will deliver. And that we can step into that um, based on who God says He is. That we should go for it as if we're already filled. And, and that God will fill us with His Spirit. Not just one time, but multiple times throughout our lives. That's, the Scripture's clear about that. And this last week we talked about um, you never pray alone. That when you pray, the Holy Spirit prays through you. He, he prays with you. Uh, that the Holy Spirit helps you pray in accordance with the will of God. And that you never pray alone. So pray, prayer doesn't have to be as daunting um, as we may think it is sometimes. And then today, we're going to hear about uh, that we are called as Christians to proclaim the unseen kingdom of God. Hence the Matrix clip you just watched. To proclaim the unseen kingdom. And before I get started, really, I want to give you a mental image of bookends. You know, like bookends will hold up your book, your books. Uh, one end is Luke 4, and the other end is Luke uh, 9. And I want you to be picturing that in your mind as I, I'm talking. Between Luke 4 and Luke 9, there's a lot of kingdom work that happens uh, in Jesus' ministry. But in Luke 4, Jesus goes into the synagogue where he was, as was his custom, and they handed him a scroll of Isaiah. And he picked out a portion of Isaiah, what we would call Isaiah 66. But to them was just another paragraph in Isaiah. And he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he ends this by saying, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, I am the one that Isaiah was writing about. So when we hear Luke 4, Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of God. But it's difficult for people because it's an unseen kingdom. And in our popular culture, there's actually this stuff that shows up a lot. People have a tendency to think, well, it's an unseen kingdom. It's very difficult to believe. But if you saw the Matrix, you see this idea of an unseen world that's outside of our own. If you've read the Chronicles of Narnia books, which I did when I was young, and and then I started opening up closets and digging through coats, <laughs> hoping to find Mr. Tumnus, but he was never there. Or if you read the Wrinkling Time books when you were younger and, and how you could put on glasses that would help you manipulate space and time. And so this idea that there's a world outside of our world is not so foreign to us as we think. And, and the church can talk about the unseen spiritual world because it's awesome. It's so interesting. Even if people that are nominally religious want to hear a good angel story, right? Or a demon story or whatever. It's fascinating. And the church should talk about it because we have such riches contained in this book. And even stories. A member of my extended family told me one time he was on a, going on a walk and he was going back to his home. And, and he's a, this is a very a man that's full of integrity. He said, I saw an angel standing on top of my house. And he was about 50 feet tall, or it was 50 feet tall, and it had a sword that stood like this, and it had wings behind its back. And I said, no wonder people fall down in the Bible when they see angels. They're 50 feet tall. Um, they're so big. Or in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha shows uh, the people with him that they're being attacked by an army. Elisha shows them that there's actually all along the hillside are 
angels and, and chariots of fire that were surrounding them that they couldn't even see. But, uh, but Elisha, Elisha allowed them, God allowed them to see it. I think 10% of our lives are physical, and 90 is spiritual. There's so much going on in the cosmos and the universe and our planet that we just rule out. Because people have difficulty with faith in the unseen. And I'm sympathetic to that. But if you think about it, it's the unseen things that give our lives the most value, that give our lives the most purpose. Things like love, virtue, joy, humor, etc. The greatest things in life are not things, right? We've heard that before. The greatest things are not things. But I'm sympathetic because I know that first step of faith can require a lot of trust. To say, Jesus says there's an unseen kingdom. How do I interact with that? It just seems very difficult. And it reminds me of the story of a man who was walking on a dark pathway one night. And as he's walking, he falls over a cliff. And he's falling down the cliff and he's grabbing the things. And he grabs onto a tree that holds him up. And he's hanging from the cliff. And he says, anybody, anybody up there, can someone help me? And he hears a voice in the unseen darkness. And the voice says, what do you want? And he says, I'm stuck down here holding onto a tree. Please send someone to help me. Can, I can't hold on much longer. Can you help me? And the voice replies back, yes. And the man says, well, who are you? Hurry. And the voice says, I'm God. Well, what do you want me to do? Long pause. Let go of the tree. The man thinks about it. Is there anybody else up there? <laughs> it's hard. Faith, trust. Sometimes Jesus asks us to do things that don't make a lot of sense. That's kind of what I don't want God to do. I don't want God to be like me. I want God to give me an upside-down answer. If he's speaking from a kingdom of heaven perspective, I'm not always going to get it. But it helps. he's helping me understand the way that God works in the kingdom of God. But it's believed in an unseen kingdom. It's sort of like how you never remember how any, anyone said to you. you like, it's sort of like hearing a sermon. You might remember a little bit of it, but you'll remember how it made you feel. You don't remember everything everyone ever said to you, but you remember how it made you feel. Like, what is that? There's something that metaphysical that happens that you can't quantify it. But you know that the unseen things in life give our lives the most value. It's sort of like oxygen. I know scientists can break it down for me, but I can't see it. But without it, I die. In a similar reality, our, our faith points to the reality of God. If the writer of Hebrews understood this, that our faith is evidence for God. That's how they viewed faith. That faith was not simply a personal thing, a preference, a private matter. A church historic has understood faith to be evidence. And it says this in Hebrews. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Our deepest hope is for what we can't see because we want it to be greater than something we can imagine. I want God's kingdom to be greater than something I can even make up in my mind. Philip Yancey, the author and pastor, has a great quote about this. He says, the great divide separating belief and unbelief reduces down to one simple question. Is the visible world all there is? Those unsure of the answer, those who are unsure, they kind of live in agnostic no man's land. They wonder whether faith is just wishful thinking and this unseen world is just wishful thinking. But he says, 
it's really this question. Does faith delude us into seeing a world that doesn't exist? Or does faith reveal the existence of a world that we can't see without it? I'll say it again. Does faith delude us into seeing a world that doesn't exist? Or does faith reveal the existence of a world that we can't see without it? See, faith forces us to admit that we don't have all the answers. That I don't understand everything uh, everywhere. Now, one thing I love about this church is that people are really drawn to it. My second day I was working here, the front desk called and said, there's a young woman downstairs who needs to speak to a pastor. Will you come and talk to her? And I said, absolutely. So I go downstairs and I start to meet. I get to know her and we sit down and I, and I say, well, uh, how can we help you? And, and she said, well, I was lost around town and I, I made a wrong turn and I turned on the chestnut and, and I saw this beautiful church. And, and so I decided to come in here and talk to somebody. And I said, well, I don't mean to sound cheesy, but, but maybe you made the right turn, right? That you thought you were making a wrong turn, but in reality, I think God was trying to get your attention. And it wasn't in an accident that maybe this unseen kingdom of God is at work in your life. And we prayed together and we gave her some literature and, and it maybe helped her on her journey. Now, the, the generation, I'm, I'm barely, I don't know, I'm a Gen X, I'm 40, I don't know. But I lose track of all these monikers. Uh, uh, but the generation before me, I guess we call them millennial, and generation Z is teenagers. I don't know what's going to be after that. Is it reset to A after that? <laughs> but in many ways, there's more uh, skepticism in our world than ever before. I think that's pretty safe to say. I think 5% of Generation Z, 18 to 25-year-olds, yeah, subscribe to any faith at all or something. It's, it's such a low number. It keeps going down. There's so much skepticism about religion. There's, there's a wariness. There's a trust issue there. It, it, it's almost like we've been marketed to our whole lives in America, and when it comes to church, we think the same thing. I don't know if I trust you. And we hear that quote from that famous quote from Karl Marx, who famously said that religion is the opiate of the masses. And people may believe that, that religion is dead into the soul, it's pie in the sky that I'll get when I die. But Karl Marx hadn't seen Netflix yet. But the truth is, is that this generation has been deceived into believing that this earthly life is all there is. We have been deceived. We have been lied to. Jesus said that the devil is a liar. I was on Reddit, uh, an app out called Reddit, and you can scroll through articles and videos and pictures and comment on them. And you have a screen name, and it's pretty much anonymous, but it's, it's a lot of young people from all over the world, literally. And they comment on stuff all the time. And one person posed the question, what happens after we die? And I read through all these, these uh, answers. It was almost hundreds, maybe thousands. And almost without question, the majority of them said things like, I believe when I die, I go into a, an inky blackness and I suck on the sleep. I'm like, well, that sounds great. <clears throat> or I believe when I die, I'm just annihilated. Like, it's just over. I was born and, I, and I, it's, 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 it's finished. And I read all these comments and people were upvoting them. They were liking them. And it hurt my soul. It hurt my heart. Because the kingdom of God I've come to know in my life shows me the reality and the presence of God. I know God is real. I know that Jesus exists. And I know that after death is not the end of our story, it doesn't have to be the end of our story. Like I said, though, we have been deceived. 
Jesus said that Satan is the father of lies, that lies originate with him. Everything he says is a lie or an accusation. And the worst part about his work is not the accusation. It's that people receive it and they begin to believe it. They begin to believe it as their identity. And that when you hear these accusations, know that God does not generate them. That God's word to you today is that he loves you. He loves you. God will always love you. There is no accusation against you. There is grace for you this day. But you have to know this, that the devil is not a metaphor. He's not some idea of evil. To Jesus, he said, I saw him fall like lightning. He was there, of course he was there, when Satan fell. <clears throat> the battle that we face is not flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. In Jesus' life and ministry, support that fact. As soon as he finishes reading Isaiah 66 in the synagogue, and he goes out into the streets, he begins to cast out demons and heal the sick and preach the kingdom. This unseen kingdom that exists in tandem with our own world in this mysterious, awe-inspiring way. That Jesus' proclamation in Luke 4 is saying, I am the king, and I have landed on the beachhead of my land, and I'm going to take back what belongs to me. And I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to be light in your darkness, and I'm going to show you things that you should have known already, and I'm going to open up a new gate, a new kingdom for you to engage with, to know that death is not the end of your story, that God's kingdom can live within your heart, that Christ can rule as king of your soul, that I will give you a peace that nothing can else can touch, that I am the way and the truth and the life. But what are the characteristics of this unseen kingdom? But let's read again Luke 4 and see what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So for one, the kingdom of God is good news to the poor, not just the financially poor, but the poor in spirit, the downtrodden, the depressed, the anxious. He's, it's good news that God loves you. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. It could be a physical prisoner, but also a prison of sin. The shackles that we can maybe have over our own lives. Recovery of sight for the blind. It could be metaphorical as well as literal. We see Jesus healing people a lot. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the, quote, acceptable year of the Lord. This was a, a reference to the year of Jubilee, which is when death would be wiped out. When slaves would be set free. I remember the lead singer, bon, or the lead singer of YouTube, Bono, in the year 2000. He was pushing for the year of Jubilee, if you remember this. But he got in the United States to wipe out debt over some African countries. Pretty amazing. Every 50 years, it should be a year of Jubilee. Anyway, that's what Jesus is referring to. This year of reset, right? He's saying that all these are earmarks of the kingdom. This kingdom that you cannot physically see. And as Jesus ministers, people constantly wanted him to be a physical king. Why don't you throw out the Romans? Why don't you go cause a riot? And then they never got him. Even in Luke 17, once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, and he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. Other translations say the kingdom of God is within you. 
John Wesley has great quotes. He actually read through the whole Bible. He made notes on the entire Bible. You can look it up online anywhere. And here's what he had to say about this passage about the kingdom of God. For behold, the kingdom of God is within or among you. Look not for it in distant times or remote places. It is now in the midst of you. It has come. It is present in the soul of every true believer. It is a spiritual kingdom, an internal principle. Wherever it exists, it exists in the heart. See, human beings, we have physical bodies. So we attempt to go to the gym. I fail at this miserably. <laughs> Mowing the grass counts for me. I'm like, I'm sweating, it counts. But we have physical bodies. We want to take care of ourselves, right? Maybe eat a salad. Maybe eat an apple. Take a vitamin. Right? We want to take care of ourselves. So we, we, take care of the, we take care of the physical part of us. Our minds, we want to go to school, be educated. That's good. We have emotions. So we watch The Notebook, right? We've seen The Notebook, have a good cry. Or watch Titanic. Oh, that movie wrecked me. There's space on the door for Jack. There's space <laughs> on the door for Jack. I will always contend for that. But when it comes to our souls, our spirit, we have a tendency to be like, eh, you know, whatever. It'll work itself out. Like that, that, that's, this is not, that's not enough. And a Wesleyan idea of the spirituality of, of, of spiritual formation of growth, we have to have more of an, an attitude of care for that. Because Jesus wants to heal your soul. He said, I have come to proclaim freedom. I have come to break the chain. I've come to make it level. So receive the gift I want to give you. Because it makes sense that Jesus would proclaim a spiritual kingdom of God. That's what I would expect God to do, because God is spirit. That Jesus came to proclaim a kingdom that is now and among us, and also yet to be. The, the best is even yet to be. Like I said, it's unseen. Sometimes you don't even know it's there. But it's a great uh, uh, illustration. Is a, you know, I've never seen the wind. But I see the effects of the wind. I don't doubt the existence of wind. But when I see the wind blow across the body of water, I know the wind exists. I've never seen that, never put a test to it, can't quantify it. But I know that I see the effect of what it did. And you look at the life of a person whose life has been transformed by the gospel. You know that something happened there that you can't really explain. Or someone that you've known that their addiction has been broken, or they were healed, or they even coming to faith in Christ as a miracle of God. Like God does that work. All of that points to a cause and effect relationship. Something is happening. I remember when I was in college and I went to a, I uh, was part of a ministry called Campus Crusade. And we, they had a conference in Charlotte that met, it was called the Charlotte Christmas Conference. And we met at a ballroom at a hotel and there was probably 2,000 college students. And one night they had a night of worship where they had a worship team and, and it was just like three or four hours of singing. And for me as a good Methodist boy, pew and hymnal, I thought it was a little bit bizarre. I was like, what's going on here? But as I walked in there, it wasn't showy, it wasn't emotionalism, it wasn't anything like that. It was, it was legitimate people just going hard after God, standing on chairs, kneeling, just worshiping with all their hearts. And I never experienced that before when I was 20, 20 21 years old. But it made a deep impression on me. I remember looking around this ballroom and seeing all these young adults worshiping and thinking, Either all of us are crazy right now, or something is happening here. 
Something I can't see is interacting with all of us in a way that's blessing us. And I never forgot that. Because just because it's unseen, it doesn't mean it's not real. Just because it's unseen doesn't mean it's not real. But in order to belong to a kingdom, you have to, in a sense, submit to the authority of that king. That you trust the character or the nature of the leader itself. And, and Jesus said this to the religious leaders of his day. He said, truly I tell you, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. They are getting ahead of you. The people that beat their chest and go, Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. The people that know they're not good enough. The kingdom is open for them. But for those that have no self-reflection, no repentance, no desire, then you won't see it. And Jesus said that. He said, I've not come for those who are well. I've come for those who are sick. And to bring healing and freedom for those that need it. Jesus spoke clearly about his kingdom in John chapter 18. When he's in his trumped up trial and there's this crowd and Pontius Pilate is there. And Jesus is beaten and he's bloody and he's wearing a crown of thorns. And it, Pilate asks him this. So are you a king? I'm not sure I'm reading one for three. There we go. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. He's being very clear. And Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth that all who love the truth recognize what I say is true. See, God didn't grant the Son power and dominion and authority as a king just to rule over mountains and trees and oceans and antelopes and beavers and all this stuff that's good, but that's not what he's king over. That's not only what he's king over. He came so that he might rule over our individual lives. That, that's why the temple is gone in Jerusalem. Because God said, I'm not interested in inhabiting a, an earthly structure anymore. I, I want to get what I came for in the first place, which is to lovingly rule over your life. That the temple is you. You are the living stones of my church. And the kingdom of God can be within you. And then in John 4, 14, Jesus said these awesome words. Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Jesus came to break every chain, to set the captives free, to redeem and restore what, that which was lost. And if you are here and you are lost, know that in this day you can be found, that he will come and make his home within you. I can't fully enough explain it to you, but I've experienced it for myself, and I know it's true. I know it's true. The kingdom of God is real. And just because it's unseen, it doesn't mean it's not real. So as the band comes forward, I'm going to ask us to pray together. Let's pray. We thank you, God, that your unseen kingdom can be known. That we can know, God, of your peace on the inside of our, of our souls. That you will break the chains. The chains of deception. God, to see that, that you are better than we can possibly imagine. 
and that you draw people to yourself out of love. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those who believe in him will not die, but they will live life eternal. God, you love the world. You love all that's in it. God, I pray that you would break every chain, redeem and restore us, Jesus. Transform our lives from the inside out. Help us to live as kingdom people, to have that kingdom of God mindset around us every day. Forgive us for the ways, God, that it's hard to see sometimes. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to call out to you when we need help. Thank you, God, that you answer. That he gave his only begotten son, that those who believe in him will not die, but they will live life eternal. God, you love the world. You love all that's in it. God, I pray that you would break every chain, redeem and restore us, Jesus. Transform our lives from the inside out. Help us to live as kingdom people, to have that kingdom of God mindset around us every day. Forgive us for the ways, God, that it's hard to see sometimes. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to call out to you when we need help. Thank you, God, that you answer. May your kingdom come, O oh God. 